the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome back to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. Good to be back with you, Joe Lonergan, alongside Eric Henry. How are you today, man? Joe, I am doing all right, man. You know, this is a typically the quick portion podcast where I, I, I sidetrack with a quick story here. I'm just going to launch right launch right into it for you. Uh, I, you and I, you know, have done this podcast now for a little over a year, about a year and a half, and I, I, I have a confession for you. I okay. am uh, deathly afraid of mascots, uh, specifically the ones that have giant heads that I cannot see the person behind it. You know, if you're like the, the Florida State mascot where you're a walking person, uh, I, I'm cool with that, right? But if you have a giant head, I'm extremely afraid of it. And it kind of brings me to my point uh, that I meant to make a few weeks back when I was a little under the weather, so we kind of rushed with that podcast. Uh, Western Kentucky brought a certain mascot to <laughs> FIU, and I, I saw it on the field. And, uh, Joe, what the hell is a Big Red? What the hell is that? <laughs> big Red is love. Big Red is life. You know, <laughs> that's that's what I keep telling people. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know, to be honest with you. I, I don't know the origin of that specifically i've tried to look it up a couple of times and i i feel like i always look it up and then immediately forget but like yeah i don't know he's just kind of an amorphous uh blob and i think people just kind of get a kick out of how weird he is and they've just kind of rolled with it ever since i i just needed to get that off my chest you, you as our resident <laughs> Western Kentucky person i need to know what on earth that was all right we can uh we can start the podcast now <laughs> that's actually a pretty good transition be just because i feel like we should just go ahead and start talking about the uh the western old dominion game from this past week first uh wku wins that one 20 to 3 considering uh we were seeing old dominion gain some positive momentum offensively prior to this week i think that speaks even more to how well western's defense is actually playing right now uh not a perfect game mind you uh but uh they've allowed the second fewest uh points in the league at the moment d'angelo malone add uh, added three sacks to his total in this game alone um which for old dominion plenty they need to fix obviously but the biggest thing clearly to me is pass blocking, which they've allowed 19 sacks already this year, which is the worst in the league. Um, And it's also kind of funny to me that like in a year where Tyson Helton's back, everybody's talking about how excited they are for kind of the revival of the passing game and kind of what the tops were able to do uh, three, four years ago. It's funny that Gage Walker's having as much success as he has so far, Uh, 426 yards, four touchdowns so far on uh, on 97 carries and uh it's a converted defensive back still mind you i feel like i've talked a lot about the good things we've seen from him so far but it's still really impressive to me and um yeah the toppers a lot of positive momentum going in that divisional race so far yeah you kind of hit the nail on the head as far as everything i would touch on i'll just add this as far as western kentucky there's been a decent amount of debate amongst conference usa twitter and conference usa forums as to whether western kentucky is legit or not that question may or may not be able to be answered so far because you can look at some of their victories and say, hey, uh, not necessarily against the top part of competition in Conference USA. Sure. Uh, personally, I think that, you know, FIU, while uh, record-wise isn't great, they beat a talented team. But this is what I would say about Western. The way they're winning games is what gives me hope that they can – that this is sustainable, right? It's mm-hmm. essentially by winning battles up front and the rushing attack. And specifically, D'Angelo Malone, 
I had to do a double take, Joe, when I looked at his stats before I wrote my three things we learned about Conference USA piece uh, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I actually thought when I looked at him that his stats might be from last year uh, through only five games this year. Uh, he's got seven sacks and something like 44, 45 tackles just through, set through uh, five games, which means D'Angelo Malone is a legit you know, candidate for defensive player of the year in this conference. Uh, that aside, Gage Walker, you mentioned being a converted defensive back. I don't know if that's more of an indictment on Mike Sanford, which is having the guy uh, at the position because he played, he's actually a local kid from Tampa uh, East Bay high school and he played running back in high school. So there's something that the previous staff saw in him that said, we want to switch him to a DB. And there's something about this staff that said, Hey, he's better fit at running back and dividends are paying off. All things considered, it's a great win for Western Kentucky. And, and I, like I said, I think they have a formula to sustain, uh, have sustained success throughout the rest of this year and can kind of bring the passing game and, and the rest of that along as the defensive line and the running game goes. Yeah, I definitely think uh, I agree with you that Malone's a candidate for defensive player of the year up to this point in the season. Uh, hopefully for them, it's just about you know, remaining consistent and, uh, you know, doing the little things right. Because I feel like um, when they're confident, historically, Western Kentucky's played so much better. I think they definitely got down on themselves quite a bit uh, the last two years. And I think that influenced the way they played for sure. Um, And, you know, as you mentioned, there's definitely some kind of uh, misjudgments that happened along the way with uh, that last uh, system, which is interesting because it's definitely a few of the same guys, um, but clearly they're, they're starting to figure it out with, uh, the personnel that they have. So, uh, going to be an interesting, uh, few weeks for Western Kentucky halfway to bowl eligibility already, which is, uh, definitely better than I thought they would be doing. Uh, if you had asked me over the summer, um, before we ramble on too much about the toppers, uh, let's talk about one of the more surprising results of the weekend. And that's, uh, MTSU beating Marshall 24 to 13, uh, kind of goes without saying, but huge win for middle Tennessee state and a just a critical loss for Marshall considering this was a uh, divisional title or well divisional game. I should say uh, both teams were kind of in contention for that divisional title uh, earlier in the year. And um, you know, I got to say, I feel like uh, I'll just get this out of the way now before we get too deep into the season. I feel like I'm going to be eating crow a little bit about middle Tennessee because I seem to remember specifically saying there was like nothing about this team uh outside of uh Blankenship that really impressed me all that much. And clearly they're starting to show that uh, they have, they have something we should be impressed by uh, so far into this year. Um, we've talked about also how MTSU came out of that brutal non-con schedule and they were going to give uh, specific people some trouble. Lo and behold, exactly what happened here. Uh, meanwhile, on the Marshall side, for me, it seems like Isaiah green is just, really having some issues, uh, particularly with ball security. I mean, he turned the ball over four times for, for Pete's sake. Um, and, uh, you can't do that and expect good things to happen. Yeah. It's as simple as that. When you look at the box score, <laughs> and, you know, obviously games aren't played on a box score and you can say it's about a, a lot of games uh, and, and when you play football or sports for that matter in general. But when you look at the box score, Marshall essentially won this game outside of Isaiah Green's four turnovers, which resulted in, in half of middle Tennessee state's points right there. So that was the big difference. And it just comes down to quarterback play. Uh, the guy who I've been impressed with the most is Asher O'Hara. I hope I don't feel like a broken record, but if you could have seen his, I don't want to say inadequacy, but his room for growth, we'll put it that way, as a passer, 
when he replaced Brent Stockstill last year at, at FIU, he was someone who clearly was more comfortable using his legs. Now he's improved, you know, twofold as a passer and it has still has the same ability as a scrambler and as a runner. And just for me personally, as someone who's followed this conference for the past, you know, two and a half, three years, it's like looking at a mirror image of Brent Stockstill, you know, a guy who's not the biggest quarterback in the world, not the fastest, but just makes plays and makes things happen. And once again, it's not to say that Marshall wasn't in this game. You know, if you take away Isaiah Green's four turnovers, they probably win this one uh, somehow, some way. But if you're going to give a team like MTSU those type of chances, and if O'Hara's going to keep progressing as a passer, you know, Middle Tennessee State could do exactly what they did last year, which is survive that brutal non-conference schedule and just kind of, you know, slowly kind of stay under the radar in the East and pop up at the end. Now they've got to – they still have a, a two-game deficit they have to make up against Western, but they'll have the opportunities and they'll play Western later on in the season. So we'll see what happens. But hey, you got to give credit to Middle Tennessee State. They forced the turnovers and got the W. Yeah, you know it's it's really crazy that um, they're achieving the results they are. Um, and you know, like I mentioned, particularly on on defense, I I feel bad because I'm blanking now, but I believe one of their defensive backs had had two. Uh, Javante Moffat, that's who it was. Uh, Javante Moffat had two interceptions, and like, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm just impressed with some of the uh, even the individual playmakers on that Middle Tennessee defense, um, along with just the results they're achieving as a team. Sneaky good, those Blue Raiders. Um, before we get into this next game, Eric, question for you: What's the longest delay you've ever had to sit through covering a game? Hmm. Uh, wow, it probably was last year. I just racking my brain. Last year's delay lasted. It was it was similar to the one we're about to talk about in the sense that uh, for those of you listening who may not be adept with the NCA rules as far as lightning, uh, it, there is a certain radius around the stadium. I, I believe it is a 15 mile radius within the stadium that if lightning strikes, uh, you will go into a delay. And each time lightning strikes within that radius, so you'll go into a delay and the clock will start at, at 35 minutes. Uh, or excuse me, try again. The clock will start at, at, at 60 minutes uh, that you have to be a mandatory delay. And each time there is a lightning strike, that clock will restart. And that happened last year. It was the Arkansas Pine Bluff game, I believe. It was one of the games. I can't. Or, or, it was one of the early games last year, FIU. But that one lasted an hour and twenty-four minutes. Uh, so that one was pretty, pretty decent. Uh, so I'll let you go and launch on this one, which was much longer than an hour and twenty-four minutes. Right. The uh, UAB Rice game delayed five and a half hours in total uh, due to lightning on Saturday. UAB ended up winning that game 35 to 20. And it had to be frustrating for the people working and covering this game because like it was a 15 point win for sure. So not a not a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. But the point in time when the last part of that delay occurred, in my opinion, Rice didn't have enough time to kind of make the comeback so they were just kind of like waiting all that time just to run the clock out especially so that's that's kind of my nightmare i've definitely sat through some some very long uh delays in my day uh especially covering baseball and in the south and you know given the uh (laughs) kind of weather you get during that time of the year um yeah so that had to be brutal um 
In terms of the game, though, some bad news for UAB coming out of that one as uh, Spencer Brown apparently going to miss some games with a leg injury that he suffered here. Uh, luckily, his teammates kind of picked up the slack offensively. Tyler Johnson had uh, had what I call a, a Brett Favre game here. Uh, <laughs> some questionable decision-making, but ultimately paid off for the most part. Uh, finished that game with three touchdowns and two picks. Um, so maybe something to watch if you're UAB's offensive coordinator. You definitely have a, a quarterback who's who's laying it all out there to get his team the wins, but probably not making the uh, the best uh, throws and calls along the way. Uh, but you know, obviously they got it done. Um, meanwhile, on the on the rice side, clearly they're getting there. Uh, Aston Walter and Austin Tremel are legit. But if you lose four fumbles that's not going to help your case when you're trying to get your first victory of the season. It's funny. You mentioned the, the length of that delay, Joe, I just really quickly, uh, I normally, my, my routine after I leave the press box at FIU or whatever game I'm covering is I watch the PAC 12 games because they come on late and I tweeted out, Oh yeah, you know, routine PAC 12 after dark. And some, yeah. uh, this guy on Twitter was like, Hey, uh, there's still a, a conference USA game, conference USA game going. And I'm like, wait a minute. They, they didn't call that game. So I was shocked, uh, and uh, uh, Evan Dudley actually tweeted out a, a picture uh, of people in the remaining in the stands, and it could have been more than 500 people. But uh, you know, that's on the field. I think you once again you got to hit the nail on the head as far as Rice with the turnovers. The argument can be made once again, especially when you're a team like Rice that's trying to develop that culture, trying to find a way to win games. You can't turn the ball over four times and think you're going to win, right? You really need to not saying you have to play a flawless game, but you've got to play a fundamentally sound game, especially given the fact that Rice's passing attack isn't there yet. Cause we look at everything else, uh, it kind of worked to fruition. You know, the thing you and I've been kind of been harping about is that they needed some type of passing attack. Austin Trammell gets uh, as a hundred yard receiver, you know, kind of being that deep threat that could replace Austin, um, Aaron Cephas, uh, Aaron, excuse me, Aston Walter, uh, runs for uh, 102 yards. So the formula is there. You just can't turn it over four times. As for UAB, my kind of feeling on them is, is this. With Spencer Brown being injured, you talked about Tyler Johnson having that Brett Favre type of game. Well, he's going to have to rein that in. Things are going to need to be fundamentally sound. Not that Lucius Stanley isn't capable of carrying the load. That's one of the things that Bill Clark has kind of done in his, his time since the program has you know, kind of restarted is Bill Deff at running back. But with the best player on your team out, it's going to take a concerted effort on his part to keep the ball in the hands of his own team. And also, uh, how do you feel about, uh, you know, just quick sidebar, Tyler Johnson III as a whole, he just seems to be a boom or bust quarterback just in terms of passing game. I mean, you see a lot of times with the receivers, their stat line will be like four catches for 120 yards. You see Kendall Parham, three catches for 109 and two touchdowns. He just seems to always throw the ball downfield, which I'm not complaining about. I love a guy who can throw the deep ball, um, but that just seems the crux of this game. I mean, 282 passing yards on 14 completions. Yeah, I mean, that definitely seems to be the uh, the case. That's kind of why I made the uh, the Favre comparison. But, yeah, I feel like any time you have a quarterback like that, it, you have to be a little bit nervous if you're a coach or a fan, really. But – I don't know. It's hard to get too down on the kid because his highs are so high. You know what I mean? They're they're the defending conference champs for, for, you know, for the sake of the conversation or whatever. But at the same time, like, yeah, if eventually he's going to have one of those days where it's, you know, instead of three touchdowns and two picks, it's going to be, 
you know, one touchdown and, and four picks or whatever. So, you know, at the same time, th- that's why I kind of felt the need to harp last week on like how bad I feel like the, the run blocking has been for UAB lately, because like, you know, in that game last week, Spencer Brown had what, like 22 touches for like 60 or 70 yards or something like that. So yeah, the, the imbalance on UAB's offense is, uh, is clear. And um, when you're going to have to lean so much on the quarterback uh, in that offense and his ability to make good decisions, you gotta, you gotta be a little bit better about that. I feel like. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, with that, then we'll uh, we'll just move on to FIU and UMass. Then I feel like there was something else there, but I I'm completely blanking on it. Um, FIU beating UMass forty four to zero. You just mentioned you were at that game, uh, Eric. What did you think of the Panthers in this game? Uh, clearly, let out a little frustration against a a pretty uh, sorry UMass team, frankly. Yeah, it's kind of two ways of looking at it, right? Which is one, the point you just made, it's a sorry UMass team. Uh, There's the other way of looking at it, which I will take the positive end, uh, the optimistic end, which is this is the first time this year that we've really seen the FIU team that we envisioned they could be coming out of, you know, last year and entering this year. It's the, the offensive, you know, potency is there. You see James Morgan, 19 to 30, went for 263. You know, multiple running backs get involved. Anthony Jones had over 100 yards. Napoleon Maxwell uh, gets over 60. Both of them score. This is kind of what you expected from the FIU team. And this is kind of what happened for them last year, right? Where, where they started the season slow. They had a loss against Indiana, kind of had a pedestrian game, but ended up winning late against Old Dominion. And then they had a game against UMass last year, blew them out 63 to 24, and that kind of jump-started the offense throughout the rest of the year. And you know, being Conference USA's uh, leading offense in terms of yards gained and points scored in, in in the season last year, so that's the positive end from it. But outside of that, I mean, not too much you can take from it. This is actually the program's second shutout of all times, the first since 2002, and they set a program record for lowest amount of total net yards allowed. I believe it was 115. We got that in the post-game presser right there from a uh, SID Tyson Rogers. So you know, all in all, just a good win for FIU. Uh, I'll say a, a funny anecdote that I, I'll share is uh, Butch Davis. It, it was nice as someone who covers the team mm-hmm. to have uh, Coach Davis appear from the locker room in a rather timely fashion. Not to say that Butch is normally uh, slow, but as most coaches can be, when you lose, you probably want to take a little more time to uh, talk to your team about what they did wrong. And then, you know, coming off the two-lane massacre where it took Butch about 52 minutes, 52, 53 minutes to come out of the locker room and make a statement. It was nice to see him come out in 10 minutes, but he walks into the press room and there's a uh, another reporter who uh, looked pretty sleepy and uh, Butch caught his attention and, and said, hey, man, uh, you know, is this boring to you? And uh, the reporter said, yeah, it was kind of a boring game. And Butch said, well, uh, boring for you. You must not like winning. So uh, <laughs> that, that was kind of a funny anecdote. And then uh, Maurice Alexander took a punt back for a touchdown, and we had a chance to ask fellow receiver Tony Gator about his speed. And uh, Gator's response was, yeah, I told Maurice all the time, he has a little bit of Jamaican in him. That's why he's so fast. So uh, <laughs> there was plenty of uh, quips coming from the, the press game press conference, but all in all, good win for FIU. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a very butch statement first of all that's funny uh, <laughs> um but you know second um what what do you think's kind of been the difference between uh you know how this team's been been acting uh in the last week and a half or so versus um 
prior to that? Because clearly with a, with a win like this, they, they have to be feeling a little bit more confident about themselves, right? Yeah, and that's where you the point you made off the top, the UMass factor has to come into account because the UMass isn't very good right now. But once again, to give credit to FIU, one of the major things was the offensive line. I mean, give credit to a guy like Lindell Hudson Jr., uh, De'Antney Demery, you know, a uh, former Georgia recruit, the starting left tackle for this team, was suspended for the first half of the game because he threw a punch against Louisiana Tech, was ejected late in that one. That forced uh, Devontae Taylor, the starting right tackle, to slide over to the left. And Lindell Hudson Jr. Uh, comes up and makes his first career start at right tackle. And the offensive line doesn't miss a beat. And I mention that because it was an offensive line that had been struggling to protect James Morgan and get the running game going. So that's really going to be the key uh, for not only for that game, but for the rest of the year. If they can get that rotation back up to last year where they're playing seven, eight, nine guys or eight and nine guys per game, that's going to make a huge difference going forward. Certainly should. Uh, hopefully they can uh, sustain that momentum going into the next few weeks. Um, speaking of positive momentum at UTSA, getting some in a win over UTEP 26 to 16. Clearly a tough passing day for the Roadrunners, though, with only 46 yards through the air. Uh, but the running game, however, uh, seemed to come together pretty well. 320 yards there. Uh, Sincere McCormick and Lil Narcisi are to thank for that. Uh, two really great names there, by the way. Uh, but a nice little offensive revival for UTSA in this one. And uh, meanwhile, UTEP, uh, obviously plenty that uh, didn't really go their way. But um, the thing that stuck out to me, two of 12 on third down for them. Um, I feel like if you want to win games in this league, clearly you have to be able to come up when those situations arise. Without question. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's Conference USA or – you know, high school football up the road. I mean, if, if you can't convert on third down, you're not going to win very many ball games, especially a program like UTEP that's trying to rebuild. Just looking at the quarterback numbers here, Brandon Jones, 14 of 22, 140, uh, a touchdown, you know, pretty solid game, but Kyle Oxley, two of eight, uh, 41 yards. And I understand the need to kind of rotate quarterbacks because it's not like either one has really established themselves. But I think at this point, you know, I, I like Kyle Oxley personally. And, we, you know, we've talked about his, his off the field um, issues before. I think it's at the point here where you got to kind of just not necessarily cut bait. I don't mean, you know, uh, get rid of him from the program. That's not what I mean. But at this point, I think Brandon Jones has, has earned uh, enough of a right to say, hey, uh, just let him ride it out. And uh, and maybe there's something we're not seeing in practice why they still continue to, to rotate the quarterbacks. But to bring it to UTSA, you know, local kid from San Antonio, Judson High School, Sincere McCormick. He's a recruit who everyone's been excited about. You know, if they can get something going with he and uh, Brendan Brady, who actually had two carries that game, but I think that's partially because of uh, uh, Lowell Narcisi uh, is 115 yards on the ground as from the quarterback position. But Sincere McCormick, 22 carries for 189 yards and a touchdown. If they can get that going, that'll go a long way, especially since the passing game minus Frank Harris, who's out, might not be there. So definitely see if they can lean on the running game and, and maybe eke out another win or two this year. But uh, all in all, hey, I'm not going to take anything away from UTSA. They got the win uh, by hook or crook, and great job for them. To quote uh, Trent Dilfer, you cannot lose games and still win. <laughs> so that's – I feel like that I, – I was – I kept like – that kept popping into my head as I was going over the results from this week because uh, there was just so many instances – this week across the league that I looked at 
you know, I was watching the game or I was reading box scores or whatever. And I was like, Oh, you can't do that and win like between turnovers and like bad execution and in crucial situations like that. It seems like it was just that kind of week in COSA. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and what's crazy was it's only a handful of games and it felt like it was that kind of week. Right. Yeah. You want to look forward to next week? How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. Uh, let's start it off with uh, Marshall and old dominion. Um, as my thing got away from me here, but Marshall Old Dominion, uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time uh, in Huntington, obviously. Uh, I think I got to pick the Thundering Herd for this one, um, regardless of, you know, Isaiah Green last week. Marshall's good. I just think they're inconsistent. So hopefully they can kind of get a, a little fire under themselves and uh, make something happen here. Whereas um, Old Dominion, I feel like there's just way, way more to fix there. Uh, Stone Smart, obviously playing tough. I still think he, you know, he's he's been a good leader to his team, all things considered. However, um, he, he can't do much for them if he's on his back the whole game, and that's that's kind of been the situation so far. Um, you can catch that one on Stadium, by the way. Yeah, you know, this is a great game, a great week for Marshall to kind of rebound from last week. Uh, Isaiah Green definitely has to develop that consistency. So you just want to see him go out and play a complete ball game at home, you know, nice bit of rebound. And for Old Dominion, hey, I'm going to laugh with Bobby Wilder here, right? Because they've been more competitive than I envisioned they would be through this part of the year. And Stone Smart looks to be a developing prospect. But once again, it's kind of hard to do, as you mentioned, when he's running for his life back there. And he is kind of really the only offensive playmaker. And it's just really surprising, really quick, that the, the pass blocking has been as rough for Old Dominion, especially with a guy like Isaac Weaver, who, I mean, it's just been a mainstay there on the offensive line at tackle. But, yeah, overall, going to go with Marshall here to get the victory. All right, in agreement on that one there. Uh, FAU and Middle Tennessee State, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, ESPN Plus. Owls are favored. Excuse me. I think that's pretty pretty fair. Um, been really impressed with Chris Robison uh, and the way he's played this year. They were on a uh, they were on a bye last week, but this should be a, a neat little duel between uh, Robison and, and Asher O'Hara. Um, I think it's just going to be a matter of which defense uh, steps up, and I think um, you know I think MTSU are. are not going to have a repeat performance of what they had against Marshall and uh, FAU is going to get this victory at home here. I'm a little bit higher on middle heading into this game. I just think that there's a formula for middle Tennessee state to go in there and win, just play their style of football, especially when you mentioned Javante Moffitt, DQ Thomas and Reed Blankenship. It's not like they're lacking talent back there uh, on defense. However, I do think FAU just has a little more firepower. It's a great matchup of dueling kind of contrasts at, at quarterback. Chris Robinson, a guy who's going to look to be a pocket passer who can move, but he's going to look to be a pocket passer against Asher O'Hara. He's going to look to use his legs. And also, uh, you know, growing up in Florida, we had the Bowden Bowls for years with Bobby Bowden and Terry Bowden. This is the first Stockstill Bowl, Joe. I'm surprised that you're not fired up about this as I am. Uh, we tell Brent Stockstill uh, will be facing his old man, not as a head coach. He's an offensive analyst for FAU, but going up against his old man, Rick. Uh, so that would be interesting to watch. But uh, I do think FAU gets a victory. I forgot about that angle. That's right. That's uh, that's going to be weird for the Stockstill family. But, um, yeah, it's not that I doubt the talent in uh, Middle Tennessee secondary, by the way. It's just that I I feel a lot better about the talent for FAU on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so that's kind of my feelings on that. Um, and then we got 
UTSA hosting UAB on ESPN plus at 6 PM Eastern. While, uh, you know, we talked about how UTSA definitely did a lot of good things in their win over UTEP, uh, just feel a little bit more confident in picking the Blazers for this one. Um, you know, I, I really feel like Bill Clark does a, a good job of kind of adjusting his team in between games. And I feel like he'll, he'll have them ready to go on the road here. For me, this one's pretty simple. We talked about it ad nauseum, you know, earlier in the podcast. If Tyler Johnston plays an efficient game, UAB will win. If Tyler Johnson looks like the worst version of Tyler Johnson, which is the one who has, you know, three and four turnovers in a game, that's going to leave the door open for UTSA. Uh, either way, there's clearly one team that's more talented than the other, and UAB should get the victory, but uh, Tyler Johnson can't leave the door open with turnovers for UTSA to keep it close. Absolutely. Um, this next one should be pretty easy. Louisiana Tech hosting UMass 7 p.m. Eastern, ESPN 3. Uh, Texter is actually favored by 33 points at the moment. Um, based on what we've seen out of UMass this year, I really don't see any reason to uh, doubt that they'll kind of repeat the same uh, sorry results. So uh, Louisiana Tech's a pretty safe bet here, I think. Yeah, someone who just saw UMass up close in person last week, you know, give them credit for beating Akron. Uh, I guess that might be more of an indictment on Akron than it is on UMass. But they're just lacking FBS talent, quite frankly. They're closer to an FCS team, and especially with their quarterback situation that uh, is in flux as well. So expect Jamar Smith and company to go in there and get a victory and uh, by at least by uh, 21 points and make it a short, quick night for them. So tech rolls. Yeah. Uh, these next three are going to be significantly tougher to uh, predict. Um, let's start with what that's going to get people on Twitter mad at us, no matter what uh, talking about Southern miss hosting North Texas at 7 PM Eastern. Um, I don't have the TV info in front of me at the moment, but I'm assuming it's on a, a network other than ESPN. Um, but uh, yeah, this one's tough. Uh, Eagles are favored by just three at the moment. Um, again, this is one of those games. If you had asked me over the summer would have had no hesitation in picking, uh, North Texas, but, uh, based on the way like Jack Abraham and Kez Watkins have played recently and just the, the weird struggles that North Texas have seemed to have, uh, earlier in the year, I think I'm going to pick uh, Southern miss, you know, I think that it's going to be a pretty high scoring game because let's I don't think either of these defenses are in fantastic shape at the moment. Um, so yeah, based on how prolific Jack Abraham has been in this early part of the season, I think uh, I'm pretty confident in picking Southern Miss. Man, well, I guess we're not going to make both fan bases upset because I'm going to go with Southern Miss as well. Um, this is usually where you know we can get a response from both of those, those particularly vocal fan bases on Twitter. But no, uh, I think you made all the points right there. Jack Abraham has taken the next step, in my opinion, and anyone who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about Quez Watkins. I think he's the difference maker for that Golden Eagle offense. You know, without them, without Quez, they're a solid offense, but with Quez, it makes them a dynamic offense. And what I'm really looking forward to seeing in this game is all the talent that we thought that Southern Miss had on defense, I still think it's there. It just hasn't necessarily played up to its potential. You know, guys like Rachim Booth and Kyle Hemby, uh, et cetera. So I want to see if defensively they're able to rise to the occasion against a very potent North Texas offense. And I have Southern Miss as well. And that game really quick is the, you know, the pesky TV info, which is not part of the ESPN family of networks. That is on Stadium's Facebook page. 
Ah, thank you for for putting that out. So yeah, this is this is going to be a weird few days on Twitter, depending on when we get this up. But uh, good thing I'm dialing back how much I use it anyway. Um, and then let's talk about FIU hosting Charlotte at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Plus. Panthers favored by five and a half. Um, as much as Charlotte has improved as a program uh, in drastic fashion, um, have a lot of good things on that team. I still feel pretty confident in picking FIU. Um, I think the the momentum they got this week will hopefully help them kind of get back on the track we thought they would be on earlier this year. Um, and and it's just hard to kind of doubt, um, you know, James Morgan when he's healthy. And by by all accounts, he seems to be healed up pretty nicely. No, James, you know, he is wearing a, a pretty thick brace on his left knee, but he looked pretty well moving. I mean, he looked well uh, against La Tech moving, looked well last week moving. So, you know, the injury isn't an issue. For me, it's going to come down. Here's the, the fact of the matter what's going to come down to. Can FIU stop a potent rushing attack? Uh, just a couple stats that I've been putting out, you know, in either my game previews, game notes, uh, or on Twitter. Uh, Benny LeMay, in his collegiate career, the team who he's had the most success against would be FIU. He's had 352 yards and six touchdowns in two career contests against them. Charlotte will be getting Jalen Fisher, their starting center back. That was an issue last week or two weeks ago uh, with the Aaron snaps over Chris Reynolds, who's already 5'10". Aaron snaps over his head. So it, I think this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. I'm going to give the edge to the Panthers at home because I really think last week they were able to tap into what people expect from that offense and really get things going. However, uh, you cannot be surprised if, if Charlotte walks out of FIU with a victory just because of the Benny factor. Uh, here's another stat for you. In the, in the last two games that this, that the series has played between FIU and Charlotte, uh, the games have come down to a combined total eight points. Uh, in 2017, it was a one-point win for FIU. Last year, it was a seven-point win at Jerry Richardson Stadium. So expect another close one. Uh, I expect FIU will win, but hey, if Charlotte's going to win, it's going to be on the legs of Benny LeMay. For sure. I think this is going to be the most entertaining game of the weekend, probably. Um, so definitely tune into that one if you can. Um, and then finally, Western Kentucky hosting Army at 7 p.m. Eastern on uh, on Stadium's Facebook page, I believe. Um, so that should be a fun game. Uh, here's the thing. This is a bold prediction. I'm going to go with Western. You know, I think Army's definitely lost a little bit, a little bit of momentum since the start of the season, uh, coming off of a loss, if I'm not mistaken, to Tulane at home. That's their first uh, home loss in a while. Um, despite winning 52 to 21 against Morgan State the past week uh, or the week before that rather definitely showed that they're mildly vulnerable to the pass. And I think Western's offense is just balanced enough right now. And um, frankly, that Western defensive line is just on a roll. And I think that's exactly what you need when you're facing an offense, the likes of army. So picking the toppers. Once again, yeah, we're in agreement here. I just think for Western, that former that I mentioned, it's it's really sustainable. You know what I mean? You're talking about defensive line, Juwan Jones and D'Angelo Malone. Those guys are just balling every week right now. And it's not like the rest of that Western Kentucky defense doesn't have talented guys as well. You talk about a safety and Devin Key who can really ball. 
Um, so I'm just, you know, pleasantly surprised at what we've seen out of Western this year. And in Army, you know, they've got a guy like Kelvin Hopkins who is a danger uh, on the ground, not necessarily as a passer. But I just think that that Western Kentucky defensive line will find ways to make plays and the offense. You know, it's going to buy time for a guy like Ty Story to get more comfortable in the offense. And Gage Walker, once again, you know, local kid out of Tampa, uh, East Bay High School. It's been a pleasant surprise. I think uh, they'll get him going as well and, and just allow time for Ty Story to feel comfortable back there and make the plays that are needed, not try to do too much. I think Western wins. Yeah, that's going to be another super entertaining game. So check that out if you can. Uh, hope I gave the right TV information for that, but we'll see. Um, if you made it to the end of the show, thank you so much for listening. Uh, enjoy doing this as always. Um, Eric, we got the numbers uh, from SB Nation recently. I'm really happy with how much this show has grown the past couple of months. No, we actually did. Yeah, both of us did get that in our email. And most uh, uh, we can say, hey, thank you for all of you who do listen to us. It's greatly appreciated. I know uh, I think I can speak for Joe here when I say that we greatly enjoy doing this podcast as fans of Conference USA. Uh, It's never a chore doing this podcast. So thanks for listening. And we're going to try, you know, to just kind of keep this thing growing as much as we can, you know, have a do we did last year in the offseason, bring guests, bring people from around from Conference USA. And uh, once again, thank you for listening. It's uh, it's greatly appreciated, guys. Absolutely. Another thank you to our producer, Taylor Bauer, as well. Uh, If you want to follow either of us on Twitter, we're at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. Um, Follow Underdog Dynasty on Twitter as well. That's just at Underdog Dynasty. Like them on Facebook if you're still on that. And uh, check out Underdog Dynasty every day for more G5 football stuff. Uh, Happy to bring it to you. And uh, hopefully we get to keep doing this for a long, long time. Bye. Happy football watching. (laughs) 